and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world. And it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. This is going to be a game changer. If you work with children with language impairment, you can't miss this presentation because your goals, your treatment target will account for a probably 80% of your outcomes. So the goals, what we're talking about today is sort of like the food you ingest to the health of your body. 80% of how of your outcomes and how much change you're going to create the school year is going to be attributed to your goals. So I'm so glad you're here. We're going to dive right into it. So here we have our treatment target from yesterday. If you didn't see yesterday's on speech sound disorders, make sure to catch that out. Now, this is very important. I want to put this all in context. If a child has both a speech sound disorder and a language impairment, they have two, what are you going to work on first? I'm going to show you what I like to do. What I like to do is in the first half of the school year, the first half of the year from September until January, I'd like to use my paragraph and I like to work on the speech sound disorder, my complex spray, scrape, drop, angry dog teeth paragraph. I like to start there. So I want you to think about, for instance, if you've ever learned an instrument, if you've ever learned to sing, if you've ever learned to dance, if you've ever learned anything that involves a complex motor movement, you always learn one song, right? You learn one song. And the reason you learn that one song is because the focus is on learning technique and developing automaticity. So the music teacher isn't like, okay, here's your violin and here's 10 songs for you to play. There's one song for you to learn, and there's techniques that you are going to focus on. That's exactly what we're doing. And what that does is it frees the child's very limited cognitive and attentional load. We're going to put all that effort on how they're talking. And that's because the what is staying the same. So we are using the same treatment target the first half of the year, this paragraph. The parent is practicing, practicing and saying this one time every single day. What the child is focusing on is the technique. So what we have here in this paragraph on the first half of the year has become 
automatic and memorized. And when that is memorized, the great thing that happens is we're able to jump off and to learn new songs, AKA develop narratives every week, new narratives, using new verbs, using new vocabulary, because what has developed is a strong foundation in which the child knows how to organize multiple ideas and has improved their verbal working memory and using first, next, then, because that has become automatic. We've built the foundation. This is extremely important because we did the research comparing a paragraph to a complex sentence. And what happened is this, the children with the paragraph had higher MLUs, mean lengths of utterances, longer utterances, more complex utterances than those that had the complex sentence. The children with the paragraph had better speech scores than those with the complex sentences. And that's because probably they have a better verbal working memory, better executive function, because they've been practicing a paragraph. So what I tell parents is we're going to start off focusing on the speech sound disorder. And while we're doing that, we're also going to improve language by putting the speech targets in a long, complex paragraph. We're getting two for the price of one. It's kind of like we're working multiple muscular groups. We're doing the burpee instead of simply toe raises in which we're simply working on individual sounds. This, as we talked about before, is going to treat every child, every aspect of the child's life. It's a multifaceted approach. So the second half of the year, typically in January, I move toward language. And here we are in January, we're moving to language today. I'm so excited for this training. So let's dive in. And thank you so much for being here and finding me. So the first thing we're gonna look at is the big problem, the problem with goals today. I still see goals written this way, which is how we've written goals 20 years ago, how goals were written 40 years ago, but we have the research to write better goals. We have the research to say these goals are ineffective. We don't need to live 17 years in the past. So I told you Holly Storkel and her colleagues at ASHA just presented a presentation and they said, we are, there's a 17 year lag between what we're doing in therapy and what the research says. So let's go to today and do what the research says. We don't need to live in the past. So this is in the past what people are doing today. This is what the lag looks like. First, the goals are too discreet. So people, I see goals where people are saying, let's work on the prepositions in, on, and under. Let's work on these adjectives. Let's work on these occupations. Let's work on these helping verbs. Let's work on these grammatical morphemes. Okay, you have 30 minutes a week. That's like if I had a client come in for 30 minutes a week and I said, and let's suppose the client was morbidly obese. And I said, we're gonna work on toe raises. We're gonna strengthen your calves and have you do toe raises. That's the equivalent. I'm gonna work on one tiny discrete skill with you. Is that gonna change the individual's life? No. If I had the child, if I had the child or if I had the individual do a burpee in which I'm impacting every muscular group in the person's body, would that change the person's life? Yes. 
So we need to think about goals that are multifaceted, that are going to impact every aspect of someone with a communication impairment's life because a communication impairment is a multifaceted impairment that impacts every aspect of the child's life. So we need to pick a treatment target goal that doesn't just improve one tiny muscle. Okay. Also, the goals are decontextualized in manner. So the goals written such as the child's going to answer who questions, the child's going to answer what questions, the child's going to answer where questions, the child's going to answer what doing questions, the child's going to answer yes, no questions to 90% criterion. So how the further you go away from communication, the further and harder it is going to be to generalize into the world, real world. Where is someone going to sit that child down and ask them 20 who questions? Nowhere. How is that going to leave your therapy room into the real world, that decontextualized type of learning? So it's almost like you want the child to run a marathon, but in therapy, you're having the child do some bicep presses. This is going to help you. How is this going to help me run the marathon? I'm not sure. I'm working on communication here. It's not functional. It's not functional. That's not going to help them win the race. So another problem is the goals are closed-ended in cause-effect. So I went to a workshop just last year, and it was a CEU workshop, so I get all of these credits for it, right? And it was about literacy for preschoolers. Oh, that's my love. I'm going to learn something here. I learned what not to do. What not to do. And what this workshop said to do is when you're working with three- and four-year-olds, to ask them lots of questions, labeling questions, who, what, what doing, yes, no, colors, shapes, ask them lots and lots of questions. What is that going to do to a child with a language impairment when it comes to how they relate to books? I can tell you what that's going to do because I've met these children. You know what they tell me? I bring out a book and they're like, no, 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 no. And they say, I'm not good. I'm not good at reading. I'm not good at reading. No, 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 no. So these children at three years of age have learned to avoid books like the plague because that's the place where they're going to get quizzed on their greatest weakness. And they're going to fail. They're going to be like 0% accuracy. And they're going to tell you, I'm not good at this reading thing at three years of age. So this workshop, this is a lag. <laughs> this is a bad lag. This is upside down world, but not to do. Do the opposite of that. Comment instead of question. Just don't question at all. So the three-year-olds and four-year-olds, what you really want to do is develop children who love reading. And it's not a cognitive experience. It's not a linguistic experience. It's an emotive experience. So you want to teach them that this book is actually a toy. And this is fun and engaging. So that's what we want to teach at the preschool level, the opposite of this workshop, which was asking simple cause effect questions. Not going to prove the child's verbal working memory, answering these, telling the shape, telling the color. And also we have that the goals are too simple. So what I see people do is they look at the child's language sample and the child's saying two word utterances. And then their next goal is three to four word utterances, then four to five word utterances, and then five plus word utterances. So you're going to take the child from here to here in a year. 
So the goals are too simple and they're based on what the child can independently do, not based on what can the child do if you give the child a little bit of, as we're going to come next to, multimodal cueing. Where's the multimodal cueing? Multimodal cueing, there's so much research to show that children perform better in language and literacy with multimodal cues. So why aren't they there in the goals? So that's what we're going to do. We are not going to go out of the past. I think this isn't 17 years ago. This is 40 years ago. This is what I'm seeing today. We're going to go into the present and we're going to take these latest findings today. And let me show you what that looks like and put those in our treatment target goals. That's why I'm so glad you're here. This is like the food, what we're talking about here. This will, 80% of your outcomes is what are you ingesting? What are you doing? What are your goals? What are you working on here? Okay. So the first thing we're going to do is we are going to empower these children by working on narratives. So when we pick a language goal, we're not going to work on those little muscles. We're going to work on narratives because the research indicates what is narratives improved. Let's do a list. It's going to be all 10 fingers. I'll show you all 10 fingers. I can do this. First, they're going to improve language comprehension and language expression. They're going to improve reading comprehension, writing skills, socialization skills, academic achievement. I'm going to go on vocabulary, verbal working memory, vocational skills. They're also going to improve self-efficacy through child-directed speech. So that's 10, but I could go on and on. Now that's what happens when you choose, you can choose prepositions as your goal, or you can choose narratives. Do you wanna work one muscle or do you wanna change the child's life? So we're gonna go for narratives and empowering children to tell a story. The next thing we wanna do is we're gonna use activity-based and movement activities because they've done the research. The research indicates those cards, when you use the flashcards, they don't give the language and literacy gains. What gives the language and literacy gains is when children act out the sequence. A moving child is a learning child. They don't need to be doing a movement activity in your therapy room from one place, from point A to the point B, which I love. They can be doing it at the table, but they're doing it. They're not just looking at a picture of a sequencing card of how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. They're making the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. They don't have to use real peanut butter and jelly. I know peanut butter is high allergy food. It's fake peanut butter and jelly, but they're doing it. Because a moving child is a learning child. And what we know from the research is the sequencing cards. They don't work. Or the boom deck where you look into the next picture and the next picture and the next picture. That doesn't work. But when the child has fake bread, fake jelly, fake knife, and they do it, then you're improving their literacy skills. A moving child's a learning child. Einstein didn't use flashcards, as Kathy Hirsch-Pasek would say. So challenge is the next one. We're gonna challenge the child with complex and longer utterances to improve their verbal working memory because verbal working memory is the hallmark impairment of children with language delay. And if you have a poor verbal working memory, it's gonna impact every single aspect of your life. So we're gonna focus on improving that verbal working memory. How? Longer, more complex language. That's where we're gonna put our money. We're about changing lives here. 
So we talked about yesterday Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law is when you're given an amount to work with, you're going to work within the constraints of that amount. You've got $5. You don't get $50. You only have 30 minutes a week to work on language. You've got $5 to spend. If I tell you I need you to buy school supplies and you got $5 to spend, okay, what are you going to do? You're going to buy pencils and paper. If I tell you you got school supplies, you got $50 to spend, then you might get a pencil box. Then you might buy highlighters. Then you might buy colored pencils and all this riffraff that you don't need. But <clears throat> when you got $5 to spend, as Gandhi would say, yeah, yes, I did. Come in the form of bread. Now, you know, I know my people, we're top shelf, sprouted bread. We're not going to come in the form of no rich flour bread that has no nutrient value. We're top shelfers, okay? We're coming in the form of bread because we're not here to waste time. We're here to change lives. We're going to change lives in 30 minutes a week. And how are we going to change lives in 30 minutes a week? We're going to come in the form of bread because we've realized we only have $5 to spend here. And we're thinking, how are we going to spend those $5? We're going to change this child's life. That's how. And how are we going to change this child's life? We're going to change this child's life by not sweating the small stuff, by not buying the pencil box, by not buying the highlighter, by not buying these extras that the child doesn't need. What the child needs is the ability to tell a story. What the child needs improved verbal working memory. What the child needs is challenge. And what the child needs is multimodal cues so that you can take them to the next level. We're not here to test the children. We're here to teach the children. And what does that mean? Oh, yes, I am. You can call me props today. We're going to have our toolbox with us. Oh, yes. Very yes. And the same tools pretty much we use in speech sound disorders, multimodal cueing, because what do we do if you're not learning this naturally? We don't test you. And just keep testing your auditory processing skills and keep testing your verbal working memory and keep drill and kill. We're going to make it better and better and better. No, we've got tools. So if it doesn't come naturally for you, we're going to get the key. It's in the box. We're going to give you every tool we have because we're going to raise you up. So we've got, we're coming in the form of bread, sprouted bread, of course. Yes, I don't disappoint. And we got our toolbox with us. It's packed. You're in good hands. So that's, these are the goals we're going to talk about. Now, when we talk about language impairment, developmental language delay, it's something to take very seriously, especially if comprehension is involved. Because we do kind of have a crystal ball. We have longitudinal research where we know about these children and we know how they turn out as adults. And I'm just going to show you, they have mountains ahead of them. And when you look at the graphs of these children, these are these children in kindergarten with developmental language delay. Academic and behavioral challenges, their performance goes down through 12th grade. They have difficulty in vocational as adults and in getting into colleges. So it's just this downward slope in which they have more failures academically, they have 
greater failures academically. They have greater failure um, social emotionally. Every year, more, more behavior challenges. It does not look good. These children do not have the yellow brick road ahead of them. Uh-uh. So it's quite the opposite. When we look at these children at the preschool level, at the school age level, they've got mountains ahead of them. What we need to do is fill their pack, okay? We're gonna fill that backpack. We can't go with them. We can't help them traverse those mountains. When they're done with you, they're done. So I'm gonna tell you right now, the best thing you can do with these children is teach them that they're in charge, self-efficacy, that they're the teacher, that their efforts matter because they do not have a yellow brick road. They're going to have to work twice as hard, if not more than their neurotypical peers. English language learners, they're going to have to work twice as hard as their fluently English speaking peers. These children that are coming from economic disadvantage, they're gonna have to work twice as hard as their middle-class peers. So they have all these mountains in front of them. You can't change that. But what you can do is you can let them know that they're in charge, that their efforts matter, and whatever the environment, whatever the environmental influences around them, whatever those neurological influences around them that they have no control over, they do have control over themselves and they can be successful. That's all you can do. And if you do, that's huge. So when we get back to self-efficacy, when James Law did this wonderful research from kindergarten to the 30s, as the adults, when these people with their language impairment who went fail, 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 year after year, you know what they'll tell you as adults? If I know anything, I have no control over whether I'm successful or not. Do I have control over whether or not I lose my job? No, that's whether or not my boss likes me. Do I have control over not whether I get a divorce? No, that's whether or not they're soulmates. Do I have control over not whether my children do well in school? No, that's whether or not they're smart or not. I have no control over these things. That's what I've learned. So we wanna do the opposite of that. We do have a crystal ball. We don't wanna see them in their thirties thinking I have no control over whether or not I'm a success or failure. That's what I've learned. No, we want to, let, to do the opposite. We want them to go up that hill. We don't want them to fall down the hill. We're gonna help them go up the hill, go up the hill. So let's see how we're gonna do that. When we look at these challenges, Wait, I'm going to go back and just, I know you know this already, but having a language impairment, we know there are greater risks for academic challenges, intentional deficits, behavioral challenges, dyscalculia, which is like dyslexia, but with math concepts, executive function, verbal working memory, literacy, motor skills, self-efficacy, which we just talked about, which is huge, socialization and speech. So these children have got a lot to fight. So we need to, this is a multifaceted impairment, a language impairment is, we need to use a multifaceted approach. No more working on prepositions, no more working on adjectives, no more working on occupations, no more working on grammatical morphemes. Does that treat that? No, that does not treat that. Narratives does. So let's get on it. This is a lot of fun. I know it can get pretty intense, but this is high stakes here. We're talking about a child's life. You can change these children's lives 180, their entire lives by what you do today. So I'm going to show you here the paragraph treatment card I use as my starting point in January. So what you saw yesterday is this treatment target card. Now we're going to go into narratives and we're going to tell a story. And the story is 
this is multimodal. I'm gonna show you the cues I use. So first we're gonna pick a toy. So I'll say first pick a toy. Next, we're gonna cross the bridge. Cross the bridge. Then we're gonna throw it in the box. And lastly, we're gonna check the checklist. Oh, you see this is multimodal, right? <laughs> because, it always finds in the Z's, that's, and then we raise our hands up, how we play the game. So as you can see, I use multimodal cues and I go at an even slower pace if the child has autism spectrum disorder. And that's because I know from the research, we're taking the research, we're putting it into practice. I know from the research that their auditory processing is very slow and I wanna attach the auditory with their visual so they can enjoy the McGurk effect. So the McGurk effect, you and I or anyone else is a neurotypical enjoys it. When we uh, comprehend people, we look at their mouth and we use our ears. It's a 50-50 blend. So that's why if you don't hear someone, you look at them and you say, what did you say? Because you need to look at their lips while they're talking because you're using both. Well, children with autism, they don't have that luxury because their visual is good. It's fast, but their auditory is slow. So we want to match it together. So what are we going to do? Slow the visual and match it with the auditory. So I'm going to give you just the first simple example what I do with children with autism. Very, this is the first line because it's long, it's slow, it's slow. First, that's how slow it is. And what does that, what happens then is children, it gives them time to perceive what I'm doing and time to join me. So that's how slowly I go and it really works. How many children with autism have I taught to talk? Children who were non-speaking or minimally speaking at the time are now speaking because of this paragraph more than I have fingers for. Because I gave them the print, I gave them the slow multimodal cueing. Here you see the temporal or you see the gestural if you want to use that word instead, paired with the verbal. I'm giving them the McGurk effect because I'm matching the speech with the visual just like you and I all enjoy. That's multimodal. So I use this with children with autism, slower, as you saw. I use this with children with language impairment. And as you can see, this is when we go through the steps. After we say the steps of how we play the game, then the child engages in the activity, comes back, checks their checklist. We're gonna talk more about that tomorrow. I think the last day for my tomorrow day, I want to talk about, for our, our tomorrow day, I want to talk about how do you put these goals in intervention? What does a typical session look like? I think that would be a good way to bring this to an end, this fun challenge. All right. So this, as you can see, when you look at the paragraph, this is multifaceted in, in, in engagement here, okay? We're improving speech, we're improving attention, we're improving language, we're improving literacy, we're improving motor coordination, we're improving executive function. 
This is not prepositions. This is not adjectives. This is not occupations. This is not locations. This is not, no, this is action verbs. This is changing the child's life. That's what it's about. That's a treatment target that changes the child's life. That's what it looks like. So this is fun. I'm, I'm so glad you're here today. I, I, it makes me drool. I literally, if you could see me right now, I have drool coming down my face because this is how we change lives. You're, because neuroplasticity in the brain, and, and the brain, it's, it's so malleable at this age that you completely rewire the brain with these complex treatment targets. And you have children who are speaking in two-word utterances that are suddenly producing complex sentences because of that paragraph. You have children who are not speaking, who are now talking all the time because of that paragraph. So this is what I'm talking about. We can do some, we can really change lives here when, when, when neuroplasticity is at a high level, you can change the next hundred years of these children's lives. It's good stuff. So if you're like me, every year I have at least one child who's reluctant to participate. I, I call these children highly anxious. And what they do is they kind of shut down and like, no, no. And they won't talk and they won't participate on demand at all. Like, no, 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 no. And they might seem like they're being stubborn, but that's not it at all. They're really just not comfortable yet. So don't label these children as being stubborn or that they're being defiant. That's not the case at all. It might come off that way, but really they're just not comfortable. These children tend to be highly perceptive. With these children, we're going to use a responsive approach and they are going to blossom as well. So when I talk about expansion, when they make an utterance, I want you to go ahead and model it into a complex sentence. So for instance, if the child says car, I want you to say, yeah, that car is big because it's a monster truck. I want you to go ahead and not add a word or two. That's old fashioned thinking. The current research indicates that parents that speak in complex sentences, even when you control for income level and for educational level, and show parents that speak using a variety of vocabulary are going to have better outcomes with children. So I want you to go ahead and encourage parents to use complex sentences when they expand the children's utterances and not simply to add a word or two. The research indicates that adding a clause or two, let's get rid of that lag and let's get in with the research, okay? Adding a clause or two is what's going to have better outcomes. Parallel talk, and that's where you're simply describing what the child is doing. So what I do is I put it into a story. The child's going into the movement activity. I'm like, first you're picking the box, next you're crossing the bridge, then you're throwing it in the box, lastly you check in the checklist because that's how you play the game. So I go ahead and put it into a story when I do parallel talk with the action that they're performing. Self-talk. I encourage parents to tell it in a story. So say, oh, first we're going to go to grandma's when they're in the car. And then next we're going to go to school. And then we're going to go home. And lastly, we're going to go to eat dinner and go to bed. Because that's how we're going to spend our day. So 
modeling also the WH implied clauses. So don't ask who, what, where, yes, no questions with a child with a sensitive temperament. You're going to shut them down. Instead, we're going to say, I wonder. So you're going to say, you're going to embed that WH question. I wonder what we're going to get next. Mmm, grapes. Oh, I wonder where the grapes are. Oh, I wonder when we're going to have the party. So think about taking those WH questions and not asking them, but embedding them in his clauses. Because clauses create change, not words. Think bigger. Think adding clauses. So that's what I tell parents to do is to really think about telling stories and giving background and why and providing more descriptions with their language. I actually tell parents more is more when it comes to language. And that's what the current research is showing. In our therapy, we're headed toward modeling narratives to these children. We're headed toward using scaffolding with narratives. And when we do that, what happens? Shh, waterfall effect. You're going to hear first simple sentences. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Complex sentences and then narratives. But we are going to aim high in our treatment target with scaffolding or we're going to model high and then we're going to get spontaneous development of simple sentences, spontaneous development of complex sentences. Good stuff. Good use of your time. Because language is like speech. It doesn't develop like a geyser. It develops like a waterfall. So look at the, the goals. And what do we get rid of first? Auditory. And this is how it works. The cues let us get rid of the auditory because we're doing multimodal cueing. So what are we saying? We're going, and the child's going to say first. And then when we do... The child's going to say next. The child's the teacher now. The child's doing their own push-ups. It's a huge pass of the baton when the child is doing the talking all by themselves. And what happens at that point with my paragraph, when the child is saying the paragraph all by themselves in therapy, guess what? They're talking consistently outside of the room as well. It develops that consistency of motor planning and execution and programming. And, I, and what it does that practice of them every time coming through and saying it all by themselves. When they leave your therapy room, they're saying other things all by themselves. They developed consistency and word retrieval. They've developed consistency and motor planning. They've developed consistency and motor programming. And they've developed consistency and execution because you stopped talking. Ta-da! And they're going to talk all throughout their day. It's brilliant. All right, now we are going into, as I showed you before, how do things naturally develop? Now, if the child has a sensitive temperament, what I do is I take my paragraph and before we go into the activity, I say, first, we're gonna read the instructions. So I have my paragraph and the child gets their paragraph too. And I just read it, right? And it's not, because hmm. <laughs> that'll, that'll make them clam up, right? So instead, so, okay, first we get to read the instructions. And then I read it. First, and I do my gestures too. And then what, what do you think happens? Most often, the child with some sensitive temperament, they follow along with their finger when you read it, their little card. And then they start reading it on their own when they're comfortable. And so that's typically how that works. What is important about that, and we're going to talk more about intervention tomorrow, is it's important to be consistent. Because these children that clam up 
like that. A lot of people think, well, what you need to do is simply follow their lead and they're going to be more comfortable. I would disagree with that. Actually, what you want to give them, it's kind of like a child you work with with trauma. You want to give them consistency in your routines. So every time they come in, what we do is first we read our instructions of how to play the game, the paragraph. Now, they might not read it, but I'm going to read it. Then they're going to act it out. And as they act it out, I'm going to use parallel talk and talk them through the story. And then after that, and all of those responsive language standard strategies, they're going to check their checklist. And then we're going to read the instructions so we can play the game again every time. Now, that is consistency of routine. That is going to make that child more comfortable. That is going to result in the child talking more, talking more freely, being more confident, because every time the expectations remain the same, they feel safe with you. Their basic needs on Maslow's triangle is met. If I just said, what do you want to do? And every week it's something different and I'm so fun. Then the child's like, I don't know what to expect here. The expectations are always changing. I don't really feel comfortable here. So there's something to be said about creating structure within the routine in which the child knows the beginning, middle, and end of the routine. And that frees the child up to use their attentional and cognitive and emotional capacity because they're not worried about what's going on in the room, okay? So this is how language develops. This is nice to show to parents because you are working on the narrative level when you work on that paragraph with the child, saying the paragraph with the child. But what happens is naturally, now I'm going to tell you a story. Children with autism break all the rules. That's why we love them so much. They're our rebels. That's why they're so fascinating and wonderful to work with. They break the rules in speech development. They break the rules in language development. But all around the world, children follow this developmental progression. And if the higher you aim, the higher the gain. So we're working in therapy on narratives using multimodal cueing, using the print, using them acting out the activities, all best practice. And what's going to happen first? That two-word utterance child, one to two-word utterance child, is going to produce naturally simple sentences. Then they're going to produce the expanded sentences with those prepositional phrases. Then after that, they're going to invert the verbs. You're getting compound sentences where they're taking two ideas and putting them together. This is what I typically hear next where they go and sentence, and sentence, and sentence. They're telling a story. This is a proto-narrative. They're putting a group of ideas and they're grouping it together with and. You're starting to hear sentences that begin with because, because I'm hungry. You know, when really they're saying I'm hungry, but they're starting to use because. Then you hear complex sentences come out. Oh, a huge moment. This is where they're taking two different ideas and they're putting them together with conjunctions. Verbal working memory. Then we're hearing narratives where they're taking multiple ideas, they're organizing them, they're using conjunctions, a higher level of verbal working memory. So what we're working on is simple sentences, verbal working memory. You're changing these children's lives. You're improving the verbal working memory, which is a foundational skill that's going to affect them socially, emotionally. It's going to affect their vocational life. It's going to affect their literacy. It's going to affect their language. So you are changing their lives. So for checking our goals, look at your language goals. And this is the question you want to ask. We don't want to work on the small stuff. Small stuff produces small gains. 
We want to work on the game changers. Think about those 10 things. We want 10 for the price of one. Narratives. Judge your ass hands out. Narratives. That's what we're doing. Woo. So are you empowering the child with the ability to tell a story, which will impact their social, emotional, academic, and vocational success? Are you giving these children game-changing goals, life-changing goals? Let's talk narratives. Ooh, yeah. Are you using activity-based intervention and movement activities for a step-by-step -step meaningful narrative? So are you simply having the child flip cards or move a screen, IP, iPad screen to the right? And are you doing that? Because that doesn't work. Yeah. They need to do it. A moving child is a learning child. Okay, Einstein didn't learn from flashcards. Let's have these children use their bodies. Moves create grooves, okay, in the brain. Are you challenging the child by modeling complex and longer utterances to improve their verbal working memory, which is the hallmark of language impairment for preschoolers and school-age children that will impact every area of their lives? So we are going to come in the form of sprouted bread not bread uh-uh honey we're top shelf sprouted bread we're coming in the form of bread for these children and we're working on what is going to change their lives verbal working memory and lastly are you providing multimodal cueing <laughs> so get your chair out get ready to and even tell some of the kids all right to start them off with the paragraph a lot of them i'm going to leave you with this Let's go. And then we start our paragraph like cheerleaders. That's what multimodal cueing looks like. It's fun and it works. So just as you don't just use multimodal cueing when you do speech, use multimodal cueing in language. It's effective. Let's get right into where the research is and put it right into practice today. No more living in the past. And we're going to maintain an 80% accuracy level. So we need to provide more cues of the child's below 80%, just like speech, less cues of the child's over 80%, just like speech sound disorders. This is a maxim that's been studied across multiple disciplines. It's one of those maxims that you just keep in stone. Your children are lucky to have you someone who spends their vacation time and seeing how you can do even more to change their lives. So roll up your sleeves and just change one life at a time. And you are always first. She's brave, she